You are listening to the GTT podcast from the Canadian Council of the Blind. Good evening, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the CCB GTT National Call for June 9th, 2021. Uh, this is a very exciting call. I'd like to thank Jerry Chevalier for giving me uh, introduction to Darren Burton. I was very excited to meet him over Zoom. And he is going to be sharing some of his technology adventures with us tonight. So Darren's been working in the field of access technology for many years. He's dedicated his career to making today's tech more usable for people with disabilities. And his highlights have been his many years working with the American Foundation of the Blind, AFB, and with Yahoo. And he said when he's not working, he loves being outdoors, playing in the mountains, the streams, and the lakes of North America. That sounds pretty good to write about now. I think we're all spending so much time online. So welcome, Darren. Thank you for coming. And um, we're excited to have you here with us today. Appreciate it very much. I've been looking forward to this for a while. I uh, really love just talking about these things. I've been involved in tech for uh, about 25 years. And I want to tell you just a, you know, a little bit about my path and how I got to where I, what I did. Some of my work with Apple on voiceover and um, different access at Apple and AFB, Silicon Valley, just some of the things I did. And is what you'll kind of get through this. It's a lot of it's luck. A lot of it's being at the right place at the right time. And I really did have a really lucky career. Um, actually, uh, it's really cool talking to everybody from Canada. I've spent some time up there. Uh, when I was a kid, we used to go to Lake Huron in a town called Ipperwash. Well, a really cool place that you get to do a lot of boats and things like that and fishing. I caught a uh, caught an eel once when I was little, scared the heck out of me. But anyway, it was, that was always neat. And then in college, I uh, had a great time in Canada. I went up to back, back in, oh, geez, late 80s, drove a buddy of mine from college up to Toronto for his graduate school. And we drove up, unpacked him, drank beer all day, crashed, got up the next day and drove home. So Canada was brilliant for me that time. We just drank beer all day. And we, well, and we got, went to a Maple Leafs game too. So that was awesome. Um, so anyway, oh, by the way, one of my buddies is up in um, Toronto right now, Joe Stretcher, if any of you all knew him from the American Foundation for the Blind, but he's a uh, blind guy, but he's a movie producer now. He works with Oprah Winfrey and Reese Witherspoon on the, uh, He's, uh, it's an Apple show called C. And I have to admit, I haven't seen it yet, but it's apparently a pretty cool movie uh, or TV series on Apple TV about, I guess it's a world where everybody goes blind and they try to figure things out. But Joe basically teaches all the actors how to be blind, both the blind ones and the, the sighted ones. So pretty cool stuff. Um, okay, like I said, I've been in this biz about half my life as an accessibility professional whatever you want to call me, accessibility specialist. Um, uh, I lost my sight. It was about half my life ago. I'm 56 now. So I was 28 and I was actually working in the finance biz. I had studied electrical engineering at West Virginia University, but left about three quarters of the way through. I wanted to become a billionaire. So I bought a couple of buddies of mine. We started a finance uh, stocks and bonds company in Washington, D.C. And uh, I guess long story short, I did not make it to be a billionaire. Um, I had actually come home to West Virginia after a couple of years to ski. One, uh, it was a Christmas vacation. I was skiing one night and I noticed that 
Well, what happened was I was zipping down the hill and all of a sudden this tree jumped out right in front of me. Like, where did that come from? And I got my things together at the bottom of the hill and figured, and I realized that my peripheral vision was, was not peripheral. It was pinched in about 30%. So I went to see a doc locally and found out that I did have a tumor, uh, non-cancerous, which is good, but it was large. And with surgery, my optic nerve was then damaged completely. So I did have to figure things out whole different, you know, new life, right? Uh, and what I realized too was that my job, I really couldn't do independently anymore. None of the tools I used in the stock and bond business at that time were accessible. The computer systems were not advanced. Again, this was pre-Windows, uh, pre-JAWS, things like that. So it was very difficult. I also, you know, I could get the Wall Street Journal in Braille, but it came, you know, in a huge stack of Braille and it came a week late, which in that world is kindling. So I honestly, I changed my career and I got into this accessibility biz after that. I really, because, you know, I, I really just so many things, I lost so much independence and I thought that working in today's tech, and since I had studied electrical engineering, I could, uh, you know, get back into that field. So, um, so anyway, that's how I kind of got into the biz uh, and also went back to West Virginia University to finish my degree. And in that, I got a job at West Virginia University where I worked for our Tech Act project. Basically, well, I set up a bunch of accessibility labs at West Virginia University. This was the uh, mid to late 90s. And I also worked with all the state agencies across West Virginia to try to help them make their stuff accessible, right? So that this was, you know, making things work with screen readers and uh, for other people with disabilities. So I got into that for a good while. And again, another big thing, too, was sports. Uh, that's one of the things that helped me both getting back to work, which was huge, finishing my degree, but getting back, keeping into sports, skiing. Here in West Virginia, we do a lot of whitewater, climbing. Just we're outside a lot. I've actually been spending a lot of this um, pandemic time in the mountains off the grid. Did a lot of skiing this year, a lot of fishing. We even one day, I don't know, we were sitting there, we're like, we're idiots. We're breaking the ice so we can fish. You know, like, you know how about we wait till spring? But anyway, that's just something I love to do is be outside. But um, anyway, so I, I talked about getting into the technology world at West Virginia and West Virginia University across the state. And then again, just being at the right place at the right time, the American Foundation for the Blind, who I do a little bit of work for now and I worked for a long time for them early in my career, they were given a coal mine in West, from a very generous family in West Virginia. I don't know if any of you know about West Virginia, we're a big mountain estate and lots of coal mines. We've pretty much provided the electricity for America for many, many years now. I know coal's going away, but it's still, it's still fairly big. It still does run more than half the country. So it is still a thing. Um, and actually my cheat sheet just seemed to have uncheated me. Huh, sorry about that. Let me, oh, I think I might be back. No, interesting. Not my, uh, I'm gonna try a new screen reader. Sorry about this, everybody. Isn't tech wonderful? <laughs> uh, let me try NVDA. Nothing happened. Aha, NVDA is coming up. There we go. Oh, oh shoot. NVDA came back and then it went away. Well, okay. All right. Okay. All right. I think I've got it working a little bit. Maybe it's my headphones not working. But anyway, 
Um, so I was talking about AFB. So a coal mine was given to the American Foundation for the Blind from a family, but the idea was keep the money in West Virginia. So we started back in 2001. I got the job with AFB and we started AFB Tech, which was a product evaluation lab. And we started AFB Consulting where we were working with industry to help change, you know, make today's tech more, more accessible. We did a lot of stuff with voting machines back then. That was there was an election here in 2000 where we had these things called hanging chads, which there was a big controversy over counting votes or not counting votes. So we went with electronic voting and I worked with all of them to make them accessible. We also, we worked with a company to make the Prodigy Voice, the very first talking glucose meter. Um, what else? Um, our Access World magazine, if you ever are interested in that at afb.org slash accessworld, I was a... Um, editor of that and contributor to that for years. Um, I also sat on the panel that created WCAG, WCAG, the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. Um, that was great work, but boy, I, I, it was brutal. There were 40 of us around the table, all with very disparate wants and needs and desires at, at, at this group. And we had to come up with consensus. So it was really, really, I never want to do that again. I'm glad there's better people are doing that now. I'm gonna try one more thing with my headphones here and see if this works again. No? Sorry about this. You're kind of hearing my screen really talking in the background. But, um, um, again, another thing we did was work with many, many Silicon Valley companies over the years at AFB. From my years at AFB and Yahoo, I pretty much worked with all of them, which is pretty cool. Um, uh, and again, I worked at Yahoo for five years with Mike Shabanik was my boss. And if anybody know that name, he was the guy that invented voiceover at Apple. Pretty cool guy, pretty cool group to work with. Um, and at Yahoo, which, what was great at Yahoo is that we, um, we were very collegial with our competitors out there. So we worked together on accessibility a lot. Um, I mentioned my friend, Joe Strecha. He and I both worked with Netflix about six or seven years ago when they launched the Daredevil um, comic book movie show, movie or TV show on Netflix. And they didn't both, they didn't make it accessible both with the player and they didn't add any descriptive video. And Joe Strecce got involved and he from AFB taught the, the actor how to be a blind guy. And that got him off in this world of his as being a TV producer and movie producer. And Netflix came to us at Yahoo and we helped them with the accessibility of their player showed them descriptive video and everything with that. That was actually really cool. Again, we're, we're very competitive out there, but we can also be very collegial also. Uh, we, we actually, they, they sent about 20 people a day for five days. That was actually a really cool project. Um, um, let's see here. Oh, and one other thing at AFB, we have a project now that that's kind of what, what I got to. I, I retired at Yahoo about three years ago. Um, and you know, I retired to a beach house and all that, but yeah, I, I'm, I was 53. I wasn't ready to retire. So I'm doing a little bit just to keep busy. You know, I do a lot of work, volunteer work here in West Virginia. I have a 95 year old mother I'm living close to. I get to help her out a little bit, but I still wanted to do a little bit of work. So I still do a little consulting with a couple consult in Silicon Valley companies, but at AFB, I'm helping out with AFB Consulting, the group I, I helped start about 20 years ago, where we work with on a fee basis to help companies out with accessibility. And I'm working on a project, we're calling our AFB Tech Talent Development Program, or it's, it's, it's basically a pipeline we wanna develop where we train about 15 engineers at a time while they're in college, pair them 
with people like me, with, with disabled people that know tech. So the people like me can help train the engineers about accessibility. And then that can be a pipeline to Silicon Valley and, and other companies, small companies, nonprofits, government entities, things like that. So that's the project I'm working on, helping get it funded, connecting things with Silicon Valley. So that's a really cool project we should hope get going pretty soon. And it's also connected up with Teach Access, which is a thing we started at Yahoo and got Silicon Valley involved. That's an effort to get our stuff, accessibility taught in the colleges across North America. So that's a really cool project that's going on. Um, uh, and also you can go, if you're interested in some history of AFB and what, what's been going on, this is AFB's 100th year. Helen Keller, if you remember that name, she was with us for 40 years. You can go to afb.org slash 100 slash 100. So afb.org slash 100 and learn about that history if you want to. Okay, let's talk a little bit again about voiceover and some of my work that again, be it at the right place at the right time and to be able to work with Apple on some of their accessibility stuff. I don't know if you remember, there used to be a screen reader called, oh my gosh, it's, it's totally outspoken for uh, the Mac computers. But when they refurbished everything in the early 2000s, they pulled the rug out from under us and there was no screen reader for quite some time. And uh, at at Apple. So then, but they, you know, they did have some good people that did want to work on it. Just took a little bit of push from us in the community. There were some lawsuits that certainly Apple quashed the lawsuits, but they certainly got the point that we, hey, they've got to work on this again. Um, so anything, it was pretty interesting. I, um, at the AFP Tech Lab, we have a lot of soft money, a lot of grant money. And one of those grants was a grant from Reader's Digest to help try to make, back in the mid 2000s, around 2005-ish, I guess, it was around when the iPod became so popular, but it wasn't very accessible. And there were other digital audio players like that that weren't accessible. So with that grant, I was given some money to try to help change that. And I was able to visit Apple on that. Again, be at the right place at the right time, I got the grant. Also, I was on AT&T, you know, the big phone company in America. I was on their advisory panel for accessibility right about the same time well even before with the when the iphone came out and the ipod was popular so with that sort of leverage uh and that grant money i had some travel money i was able to set up meetings at apple and if you remember that the uh ipods the original ipods the ones without big screens and everything the little small ones there was one called a nano very popular i got to work with stanford eng and Stanford, and his first name, his last name is Eng, N-G. Uh, he's one of the original Applers with Steve Jobs and Wozniak and all that at the early days. So I was, I walked in the door and he, hey, Stanford Eng, nice to meet you. I'm like, oh my God, I was just, I was starting to sweat all of a sudden. I'm sitting here with one of the legends of technology. And he and I sat down for, I would say, two or three hours and discussed ways to make the Nano accessible. And I was, you know, hey, here's, I was showing him screen readers like JAWS and Window Eyes. And like, I was like, look, these have too big of a footprint. They can't fit on the tiny little chip inside those nanos. So we didn't we could do that and went back and forth and kind of left the meeting. I don't know what we're going to do. We'll think about this. And the next morning, he called me in my hotel. He said, come on over, I have an idea. And immediately, um, I don't know if you remember, the, the Mac had come out right before that with voiceover on it. And when, he, when you used to put the music on the iPhone uh, from the Mac, you had to transfer it via cable to the Nano, to the iPod. And he's like, look, there's a screen reader on the Mac. 
when we send a song over or all the songs and albums and all that, we just send a tiny little wave file along with it that says artist, Eric Clapton, album, Behind the Sun, song, same old blues. So that was really brilliant. And that's how brilliant these people are in, in Silicon Valley. He just came up with that. Like, look, we can do this without a screen reader. So every time I went through the menu and the visuals changed, that associated wave file would speak. So I was really impressed with that whole situation and Apple doing that. Um, let's fast forward though a year or so, and I'm at the AT&T panel and we've got a guest speaker named Mike Shabanik showing off the new iPhone, brand new iPhone, first one ever. Revolutionary old product, right? Well, now if you remember, as you know now, the iPhone still is the same way. It's a flat piece of glass with no screen reader. And when Mike um, did his speech and uh, he said any questions, I stood up with my guide dog and raised my hand. He goes, uh-oh, I think I know what you're going to say. And I really, really, in a professional way and tactfully laid into him like, come on. We've got laws in, in, in America you're not following. And he said, look, let's talk afterwards because I know I want to apologize to everyone. We don't have this done, but this is a software product. We can, we can do this. And we met, we spoke for a while. And again, AT&T had that leverage, right? They were the only ones selling the iPhone back when it opened, when it first started. I'm reaching for my water, here we go. Um, so we had a little leverage, but Apple did, as Mike explained to me, he said, look, this is a software product. We're going to make this happen. And I was very skeptical. I've been in this biz for many years and everything, for us, input has to be tactile, like a keyboard or, or tactile buttons. Flat touch screens don't work. And he said, just give me time. And, uh, you know, I, I left the meeting disappointed. I, you know how many times in my career people have told me companies, oh, yeah, we're working on We're going to get there. And it just doesn't happen. But a company like Apple, I had a little bit of faith. Well, he called me about six months later and said, I've got something to show you. Come on out. I got on a plane the next day. And he showed me the iPhone pre-production. It was about six months before it was launched, but it was brilliant. It was what they did. I, and and it, this was done by two people, by Mike Shabanek, who you may all know, who was my boss at Yahoo. He's now doing accessibility at Facebook. So hopefully things will get better there. But it was just fantastic what he showed me. It still had a way to go, but the fact that I could actually use it already was pretty amazing. And I, I, got, I was able to, with my lab at AFB Tech, give them advice on that product over the years, on, on the development. So that was actually really, really cool. Um, uh, again, I, we also in our lab did some testing on the Mac early, so they knew me from that area. Again, just being at, at the right place at the right time, you know? Um, again, when, when, well, just, you know, again, I just, it was just a revolutionary thing, right? A, a phone so popular that we were going to be able to use. I mean, I know it did take them time. I really wish it had happened earlier, but it was pretty, pretty revolutionary. And it was great to be able to be there as it happened. Um, by the way, when I got the first iPad, or I, yeah, iPad, the big one, the very first one came out from the beginning with all the accessibility built in. I charge it up. I put it on my lap. It slid off and broke. <laughs> the very first one, I could just cried. So I had to run down and get another one pretty quick. But yeah, that was my my thing. Um, <clears throat> by the way, uh, one of the things I did work with Apple on when I was working with them over the years, what I showed them devices like one I believe was developed in Canada 
the Victor Reader stream. I showed them that and the book port from the American Printing House. Look, this is the type of interface we need. And that sort of way we could access thing was, was part of the idea that they got pretty quickly, uh, the interface and things like that. And the granularity of the Victor Reader stream, right? Be able to read by word, by character, by sentence, et cetera. That was how we, that was one of the things that led to the rotor. You know, it was one thing very quickly, we, we realized that, look, I can touch things on this iPhone, but I need a way to navigate. And they, I didn't invent the rotor, they invented it, right? I was just the guy going, hey, keep doing that great stuff. But that was one of the ideas that we got across with them with our devices saying, look, this is what we need to do. Also the idea of flicking on an iPhone, you know, where, you, where we, we swipe from left to right to move our focus from item to item. That didn't exist. There was no such concept as quote focus, right? Where's my cursor? There's no cursor. This is a touch device. So that was something they had to develop. And again, like I was saying, it was two people. Again, it's a trillion dollar company, but two people made the big difference on top of all of us consumers clamoring for them to do it. It was two people. It was Mike Shabanik and an engineer at Apple who wishes to remain anonymous. Um, I can't imagine him wanting to be one of the biggest people in our world, for, or at least for what he accomplished. So, you know, pretty interesting that he doesn't want to, but, but it was those two people that made it happen. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. A couple other things about doing all that. Again, just wonderful part of my career to be able to do that. But I don't know if you've heard about Apple and their privacy, right? They really don't especially back in the day, they're a little more open now, but they are a closed shop. And when I would go out there to work with them, uh, someone would meet me at the door, escort me to the elevator, to the room, the lab we're going to work in, lock the door, not let anybody in, not let me out. And when we'd go to lunch, they'd work with me. Don't talk to anybody. You can't talk to anybody. Don't talk. So it was really interesting how that super closed, again, I've worked with Google. Google's pretty much the opposite. They're pretty wide open. So interesting how that was at Apple, that privacy. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll come back to that in a little too about another story about that privacy. But a um, couple things, uh, again, about Mike Shabanik. It was just he and an engineer that led this project. Really, they did 99% of the work. Um, but I don't know if you've seen, if you've read much about Steve Jobs or watched the movie about Steve Jobs or read the book or heard stories, he was a pretty hard charging boss. He was very critical of people. He was very foul mouthed. He was very harsh. I mean, normally, let's say you showed him an idea, his normal response would be something like, that is the stupidest piece of blankety blank I've ever seen. What kind of an idiot blankety blank would come up with that blank? Get out of my face. You shouldn't even work here. And then a day later, he'd come, you know, that's not a bad idea. Let's do this. You know, and he'd almost claim the idea for himself after that. But you know, one of the, that's the thing about geniuses, which he was a genius of our time. They're pretty bat blank crazy sometimes too. But but he was really really tight about that. Um, one of the stories that when Mike was working on this, Mike was in one of the eastern states. They were showing there was one of the states was suitable for an educational region. So Mike was reason. So Mike was showing them the progress, and he called in via teleconference and. As you know, after the pandemic, teleconferences don't go too well sometimes. And as they were getting together, Steve Jobs started the meeting and one of the other engineers said, hey, Steve, Mike's not here yet. We, you know, we're the teleconference and he's not here. And Jobs is like, Mike, 
Who the blank is Mike? I don't give a blankety blank about Mike. What the blank? Are you? Let's get going here. Come on. What the blank? Are you talking? And while he's cussing the storm, Mike does get connected. And he's like, oh, hey, hey, Steve, it's Mike. I'm here. And Steve's like, hey, Mike, buddy, how you doing there, dude? How you doing? You know, even the great genius can, can screw up like that sometimes. But, you know, that was one of the funny stories that Mike liked to tell out there. Um, also, another one of the things about that, my whole time of working with, with um, Apple was, and I guess it's been long enough I can admit this, that they allowed me to have the phone and take it to my lab and work with it and give them feedback well before it was launched. That never, ever, ever, ever happens at Yahoo. I was human ever to do that. And again, the first blind person ever to use voice, so it was pretty cool. I get to put that down on my resume. But um, again, just really cool that I was able to take that with me. Well, the first day I got it, I had, I was flying back home and I had about an hour to kill before I had to go to the airport. So I went to the course, went to the bar at the, at the restaurant, at the hotel I was staying at and had it out. I was showing the bartender, had a couple beers. It was really cool. And I went and got on the plane. I got home. I'm unpacking. My wife turned on the television and I hear a story. iPhone found in bar, pre-release iPhone. I'm like, oh my God, please don't tell me that was me. I reach in. Thank God it wasn't me. I had my phone. It was actually an Apple employee, but uh, for a little bit there, I was, <laughs> I was having a heart attack. I didn't know what to think, but so again, I was not the drunk guy that left the iPhone in the bar, but some people did accuse me of that over the years. But anyway, that's just some of the stories of a very, very lucky career I've had. Um, I'm, I'm glad to be working a few hours a week. I get to volunteer with, with teachers of visually impaired. I get to stay here and take care of my mom. I'm building a pool in the backyard. It's really a cool thing. I had a great career. Very lucky. I wish I could sit and tell tons of stories, but I, I, I want to quit babbling for a while and give you guys a chance if you have any questions. And again, thank you a billion for letting me do this. I always love to tell these stories. Well, thank you a billion for coming on our call with us, Darren. And it, it's so amazing to hear how things got started with, with various things and your advocacy work to get technology more accessible. That is amazing. So I just am wondering can, if people would like to ask a question, you can raise your hand. You can okay. press Alt-Y on the PC or you can press Option-Y on the Mac or on your nice iDevice that Darren helped perfect your voiceover. Yeah. You can go into the More tab or tap on your name in the participants list to raise your hand. I don't think we have any landlines. So I'll just give people a few minutes to get their hands going and Shelly can keep an eye on the hands. And feel free, any questions, I'm pretty open. I don't, uh, no hidden monsters, not too many, but yeah, don't feel, feel shy right. at all. Oh, um, Heather, Heather Walkus has got her hand up. Hi, um, fortunately you went to the wrong uh, part of Canada. You needed to have come out West. Just, uh, yes, <laughs> we have good wine out here as opposed to that beer that you got in front <laughs> next time i want to go skiing at bam that's, that's a great thing um i'm interested in women in tech and one of the things that is um i guess frustrating for me is that there does not seem to be the room or the uh, openings for women to be bringing a lot of good um, innovative ideas into tech. 
And that's right. one area I think that um, the whole industry is missing, especially yeah. in disability supports. There's a lot of really uh, good women working, but they just don't seem to be able to break through that glass ceiling or glass walls they seem to be surrounded in. I, Have you noticed a change? Are you noticing like from when you started it, it seemed to be all men and, yeah. and very ego driven. And yes. that's not sort of where a lot of women are, are position themselves in. So I'd, I'd be yeah. interested in that and what you think we can do more within our community to really attract more uh, of our youth to start looking at going into tech as well. Yes, I couldn't, couldn't agree more with you, 100%. When I got into tech in the early 80s, it was 100% men. If, if I, let's see, my first engineering class, I'm gonna say had 22 men and two women. Uh, and that it's, it's a problem. And we in Silicon Valley, we realized that it, it is getting better. It's certainly, I would say at Yahoo, it was maybe three to two men to women in our engineering and design world. Marketing and things was more 50-50. But yeah, it, it's a problem. We need, we're, we're losing out on that talent. We started a program at Yahoo and it's spread around the world now called Girl Code. In, in an effort to get young girls and young women interested in the tech field because we need to access that talent pool. We are so desperate for engineers. That's why we have to hire people from all around the world, from India, from Brazil, from Japan, from China. If we graduated more women engineers, we could hire more local Canadians and Americans, right? Uh, so a couple of things we can do. The Girl Code is just a small program. We actually, we also started the Black Girl Code because that, the minorities are, are way, way left behind. Things, um, and in the disability world, we're completely, there's very, very few of us. I really want more of people with disabilities to get, get engineering degrees too. Back to women though, um, and it still goes on today. When I was a kid, oh, Sally, you're a girl. You don't have to worry about that math. How, how insulting is that? And it still goes on to this day. Some of the teachers I volunteer with, there's, they're absolutely female teachers who are my age in their 50s are, are absolutely afraid of mathematics because they were told as young kids, oh, you don't have to worry about it. I think it's something we need to do a lot more with. I think we need to, to tap both the women and people with disabilities. And I'm a little bit biased towards people with disabilities, but you're, I, you're 100% right in your question and your, your thoughts. And that's Thanks, why... Yeah, Darren, that's why I think people like you are important. We need to see ourselves and people... In, in these positions, what we don't often see is say a black child when talking about science or math, right. STEM, um, right. they don't see themselves in that. And, and once you start talking about cultural heritage and, and what, what their um, forefathers had, had developed in terms of sciences, they're not always going to see Einstein. They're going to see a, a black yeah. person actually doing math, mathematical yeah. equations. And if yeah, you the more we that, see people. Yeah, and the history of science, we, we need to amplify that. And certainly people with, with disabilities, that's a, an important part that we see ourselves as mathematicians, right. not as, oh, you can't, you yeah. can't do this and so yeah. that's why I, I think audio the button. next step is for these big corporations to start building from k k right grade 12 right through university yeah. pathway right. funded path yeah. 
So we all funded, have, yes. We all have an uh, uh, an ability to action those, especially our young people. But a lot of us, a lot of people in their 30s and 40s who never had a shot with brilliant minds, they still have lots of time to develop right. their, their skills. And that's what I'd like to see you working on is getting that money to 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 bridge that gap. Because uh, excellent. I love that, yeah. Buying, just buying an Apple computer in one family is a major investment. It certainly is. My gosh, it certainly is. Thousands of dollars. That's, yeah. that's it, my challenge to you. Yeah. I love it. And I want to challenge back parents and teachers the same way. We need to change attitudes too, right? That's and, and also, we need to be seen. That was half of my job in Silicon Valley was, was evangelism. I was a techie halftime. I was an evangelist the other halftime. And being seen out everywhere, you know, in any single event. We had bowling for hard drives one day. I won. That really helped out, you know, just getting out there and showing that, hey, we're part of the world. Let's we'll do that. So thank you very much, Heather. That was a good point. Thanks, Absolutely. Sarah. Thank you very much, Heather. Um, we have Troy has her hand up Troy. next. Hello. Uh, nice to Hi. have you. Another place that you would probably like to go ski is um, Mount Washington on Vancouver Island. Okay. Um, it's I'll, actually it a very list. nice ski hill, and cool. I think you would really enjoy it. Awesome. They I'm putting it on have, my list. <laughs> yeah, it's ski guides and that. They have everything that you would probably need up there. Sweet. Do you have a tech question, Troy? Um, Rob has a problem with voiceover. Okay. Uh -huh. um, well, we can help with that. Rob? We can help with that. Why don't we get the questions specifically from mm -hmm. from Darren about his his experiences, I think, first, and then maybe we can tackle any tech yeah. questions we have. Um, no hands. I, I do have a kind of a follow up question to Heather's, and that is also I find that women who are supporting people in learning tech um, mm -hmm are not considered as skillful as men sometimes as well. Like, I, I think that's another part of the system that is lacking in women. They think we can't turn the machines on and know how to troubleshoot <laughs> as mm. well as the guys. So I do notice that too. Yeah, um, and that's a legacy sure of this issue. That. Yeah. Well, it, it yeah. is a legacy of exactly what Heather brought up. Um, your mother and your grandmother didn't have this. And then when they're your mentor, they don't, they didn't grow up with it, you know? I do think it's changing. I think people that are, let's see, people that are in their 20s now grew up with this tech, right? It's part of them. So it's more natural for, for boys and girls, men and women to have it in their hand. I think that is helping, but it, there certainly needs to be some more direct intent on both industry and academia and parents to, to change that. Yeah. Any more questions? Any more questions? I, I don't see any more hands, but if I may chime in, um, when I was listening to Darren talk and, and talk about, um, it was kind of interesting because having seen sort of the evolution of eye devices, you know, one, one day we didn't have them and now we have them. And uh, they really are life-changing. And they're not only yes. life-changing for me, I, I have low vision and I use them, but also mm -hmm. the people that I meet every day, it's unbelievable. Um, 
especially people who've lost vision and they think, oh, I could never do this again or I can never do that again. And then right. voila, they, they learn, yes. they have to learn to do it differently. And, right. uh, and you know, it's unbelievably liberating what, I, what I've seen. So my hat's off to you. It was so interesting Thanks. to listen to the, the whole story of it and uh, <laughs> knowing I'm one of the people who benefited. And a awesome. hand has just popped up um, we have two hands, actually. Um, we have um, Jerry Chevalier followed by Camille. So, um, Jerry? Hey, Jerry. Hi, Darren. Always entertaining to hear you talk about the history of, of tech. And uh, I thank you for your presentations. Really cool to hear all that history. I just wonder, when you were in the room with those key people at Apple talking about uh, uh, making the initial versions of the iPhone accessible to blind people. Was the motivation really based on doing what's right for blind people? Or was it because of the federal communications legislation in the U.S. that said, hey, if you want to sell your devices in the public domain, it's got to be accessible. So I just wonder what portion of this kind of accessibility legislation is important to these big companies or are yeah. they really doing it for the altruistic reasons of well this is what blind people need so we should do it yeah great question and i'm gonna have cop out and say both uh i think what initially got their attention were well apple had a history right they had a speaking apple 2e back in the what was that late 70s i think yeah so they had a history they also though but it was the legislation and legal action that got their attention. Once they then got started in the rooms that I was in, it was 100%, let's go, let's make this work. Now the bosses and the folks that told them to do that, I think a lot had to do with the, the legislation and the lawsuits. Now, Apple's attorneys will, I, I've seen them in action, I've seen them in the rooms, they will quash anybody that comes at them or at least they'll make that other entities spend so much money, it crushes them. Um, so they just fought their way out of this and they decided not to. They, so yeah, I think it's both. I think we still need to be active in our legislatures continuing with these laws. And we also need to be the, the townspeople with the torches bombarding the castle. I think both of those help make that happen. But it's interesting though, once you're in a room with engineers, it's just, let's go, Katie, bar the door. Let's, and in the excitement you would hear when things with work is, uh, when we first got the Nano to work with, with Steve, uh, with Stanford Eng's idea, it was like NASA landing on the moon in that room, the cheers and all that. So there's real, and honestly, in my career, it's, it's one, all I have to do is nudge a good engineer in the right way. And then, and then there's certainly some training and things like that. But once they see it in action and see us using it, it really helps. So, and I'm actually getting, you know, I'm getting chills in the back of my head thinking of that. When, when you work with a great engineer who really has that passion, that's exciting. But I think you're right. We, it also needs that nudge. It needs, and that nudge could be legislation, legal. And again, here in America, we have a lot of bad, what we call drive-by lawsuits with lawyers who know nothing about anything. They're just suing everybody around. That can be very bad, but real lawsuits can, and, and, and sensible lawsuits can can help push push the needle a little bit. 
Okay, well, thanks for that answer. That uh, so I'm I'm glad to know that, that it's a mixture of both, and it's not yeah. just always being forced by the threat of legislation or, or litigation, rather. Yeah. And I know what you mean about engineers. I, I was very privileged to be involved with the development the of Victor Reader Stream, and there were some brilliant guys that put together that hardware and software. So yeah, uh, even though they were in a pretty small company. So my, my second question, and then I'll stop because others, I'm sure, are anxious. Uh, when Steve Jobs heard about uh, uh, voiceover and accessibility on the iPhone, what was his initial reaction? Was this, did he blankety blank criticize it up and down? Why are no. we wasting our time or was he excited? Uh, he was not, neither. He was not against it. He, he approved it. He did not get excited about it. It wasn't something... He would. He he was very happy that it worked like it was supposed to, but he was not the champion of it by any means. He didn't stop it. He didn't block anything like that. But he was not. I I never met him, and he was never in the room. Um, so yeah, I think he liked it. He loves the idea. You know, he's an everybody. He wants to design for everybody. So he liked it. He was not jumping off the walls like some of the rest of us were. Okay. Thanks yeah. again for the presentation. Sure. Good to have yeah. you on the on the webinar. Thanks, Jared. Thanks for your work on the Victor Reader Stream. That was my revolutionary device for years before I started with the iPhone. I still have it, of course, and just just a wonderful thing. And back to your point about legislation and compliance. One of the, one of our brilliant engineers at Yahoo came up with the point: if compliance is your goal, if you're any worse, you're illegal. Right? We want to bring things up to a much higher bar. That usability bar, right? Compliance and accessibility is a low bar that, yeah, I can get the job done after hacking around. Real usability and accessibility, real, you know, real usability is where we want to go. That's where I got the job done and I don't hate you anymore, right? You know, that, uh -huh. that's where, you know, that's an interest. I like that. If, if compliance is your goal, you're illegal if you're any worse. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's, that's a good analogy. Good point. Right. Thanks. Thank you, Jerry. We've got a couple more hands up. Uh, Camille, would you like to go next? Sure. I was wondering, I know that Apple has a team of people dedicated to accessibility. I was wondering how big that team is. Do you Good know? question. I don't know. I know it's much bigger than when I was working there with them 10, 12 years ago. Um, I know Sarah oh. Erlinger is is ahead of it all. She took Mike Shabanik's yeah. place when he left and went to Yahoo. I honestly don't know the question. They are still somewhat secretive, but I know it's a much bigger team now. And they obviously are more dedicated towards the iOS platform. I would say, I would say it's advanced to accessibility more consistently and quickly than say the Mac. And I, I could be wrong about that because I'm kind of, I'm not using the Mac as much anymore, but yeah, I, I don't know the full answer, but they're certainly, a dedicated team and there seem to be we're making sure that every new product does come with accessibility and that's pretty cool how early on did they uh, address the accessibility um not in iphone one in iphone two i think they started thinking about it and then the three it was the 3gs so that was the fourth phone where they 2007 2008 what 2007 um, it was the, it was, let me think, it was, oh, I think it was 08, because we had the 10-year anniversary just a couple years ago, back when I retired. 
Can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about the talking glucometer that you yeah. worked on? Yeah, and a matter of fact, I meant to do a little research this morning before this, and I forgot to, but um, the Prodigy was the first talking meter. It was a small company in North Carolina. It actually started by some Palestinians in Israel, and they came over here and built it here. And we worked with them to make it fully accessible. Like it spoke the number, right? But okay, I still have to get into the settings. I still have to set it up and all that. So we made everything speak with them. And prodigyvoice.com, and I'm trying to think of the name of the company. I think they changed their name to Prodigy, actually. Um, But that was interesting. When I first got the AFB, that was one of the things we looked at was diabetes devices because none of them were accessible. And, you know, 8% of uh, blindness is caused by diabetes. We're the leading demographic in that world. So we think that industry would just listen right to us and they did not. We did evaluations. We wrote in medical journals and the big companies like Abbott, Johnson & Johnson, pat me on the head, all nice blind guy. That's really cool stuff. But you know, we produce 10,000 of these a day and you want us to stop our production to add speech. We're not going to do it. And honestly, the FCC, the United States, not FCC, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, was not very helpful when we worked with Bayer in Germany to make the very first talking glucometer ever. The FDA blocked it here because they made it, they made them go through all the millions of dollars of testing. That had already been done, right? The, the, the device already worked to test your blood sugar properly. That's what the FDA should have been concerned with, but they wanted the, the money to be spent, so that didn't happen. Uh, again, that was late, mm, yeah, late 90s, back into the 2000s when this Prodigy Voice company came in. They, um, you know, really did the right thing. Now, uh, which was interesting, too, is the OEM, the original equipment manufacturer, was a company called Tidoc in Taiwan. And they copied it, changed the name, and released another one. So you know, that's how business is done in many ways. Certainly happens a lot in Silicon Valley, too. Some of our stuff was uh, borrowed by other companies, and that's just what happens. Uh, one of the patents I have is to make graphs speak when you run your finger across them. And Apple released it right after we did. You know, we don't care. We want Apple to do it, right? But it was nice that they acknowledged the, the theft. Um, but it doesn't matter. Uh, so anyway, yeah, one other thing on diabetes is now... Uh, let me think. There's one by Abbott called the Freestyle, where you it's a continuous meter and you can access all the data via your iPhone. So that's one of the first mainstream US companies that has done that. So that's an improvement. Uh, a couple others, Dexcom, Johnson & Johnson's One Touch have not done much accessibility. And I don't think we still have a good blood, um, putting the blood in the right place solution. You know, it's pretty much trial and error still, I think. I've been out of that world for a while, but it was pretty, it was, it was disappointing. I really thought we had something that was an easy one, right? Industry will certainly take our advice in diabetes, but they really did not. Um, and I think to the day, we, I don't know if we have any insulin pumps that are fully accessible yet. And I wrote many articles about those back in the day. Yeah, that's sad because it's a crucial thing to, for people to have, you know? I mean, in the best situation, managing your diabetes is difficult. If, it's, if you have to rely on your neighbor, you're not going to do it. And that's a shame. I guess I had one of the first iPads. I was sent one just before they were uh, brought out, I guess, March 2010. Yep. And I was working um, 
I got mine December mm. and was playing on it. But one area that I worked with a lot with the iPads was people with intellectual uh, disabilities. Mm -hmm. And I have to say a lot of the, uh, the software that I use and apps that I use, so, so does that community. Yes. And one of the things that I really liked about the iPad was uh, when Angry Birds came out, Mm -hmm. A lot of uh, the people that I worked at a club with, uh, they were all playing Angry Angry Birds. And right. what ended up happening was this ability to sequence. Their brain developed that ability to sequence, to think ahead, to start yeah. to look at what might be coming. And it transferred into different parts of their lives. And it was yeah. really fascinating over several years to, to be able to watch people shift their how they viewed the world how they interacted with the world because of a nice thing like an ipad because it every time you do use it it works exactly the same way it's not like people that are get moody it it's right, sequences right. the same way so sequencing and and going from a b c d e f to think well maybe there's a an x y z and so people yeah. started talking about, well, what if this, where they never thought about that before. It was always just in the moment, what was happening. Right. So I also saw myself, um, my ability to think in a, in a different way, using um, iPads and I, iPhones has really impacted me over the last 10 years. I love um, that story. And I am much better at thinking out other types of problems as a result of that. And That's I never real, thought yeah. about it before. Yeah. Really great points. Couple, you know, I, I love hearing that. By the and I do some volunteer in a class of kids with autism. And what you're talking about, that sequencing, that, that consistency really opens up a lot of these kids too. And then they hear it speak and they can talk to a device without having that human interaction thing that sometimes gets in the way. That's really cool. And, um, and Angry Birds, best babysitter I ever had. <laughs> Just put that in front of a five-year-old, you're good to go. <laughs> ah. okay, thank you. Thank yeah, you, Heather. Yes, Jerry. Jerry's. Yep. Jerry, yep. Jerry F. Um, I just have a comment to make about uh, people talking about women, men and women, how they uh, adapt to technology and and whether or not women get, get into technology. I think, I think the problem with, well, not a problem, but the thing is older women have not had that opportunity as people have mentioned before. They were not guided into science and taking different courses. And, and so, so they, you present them with a piece of technology and say, you do this and this and this, and they have not had any background uh, in yeah. that, it's sort of to, to grow on. It's just like uh, a good mechanic sometimes is a good mechanic because he had a bicycle that needed a lot of work when he was 9, 10, 11, That's 13 years old. And spot he on. Knows, how, knows how to use a wrench and all the tools that go with it. And, yeah. um, and, and as far as, well, I've been retired for about 22 years now, but back in the day when I had my vision, I worked in technology and I worked, I am not an engineer, but I worked with engineers. I'm a technologist. And, and 
one thing about engineers, as you said, you present them with something and they get excited and they yeah. charge ahead. And <laughs> right. so I think if we present that same challenge to young women, they'll charge ahead with it. Oh, I, 100% uh, you're spot on. It's not a cognitive thing. It's not men are smarter, women are no. It's no. Their, what they grew up with. It's 100%. My number one superstar engineer at Yahoo was a woman from Brazil. Stephanie was the very, yeah. very best. Nike stole her. Yeah. I could kill him. But yeah, I think you hit it spot on. If if women yeah. grew up with, with gadgets and plan in there, there's more so. That, that's happening more, but it just needs to be a little bit more. Yes, it is. And the money, the it money. Is. I mean, I think money should be a big uh, motivator too. You can make a yeah. heck of a lot more money building apps than you can teaching kindergarten. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So, uh, and, in, in, and while I was working, I, I did work with two women uh, programmers. Uh, and uh, this is back in the day of C, C and all that sort oh, of yeah. stuff. I remember and, that. And, and, they, and they were brilliant, but, you know, they must have had, I don't know, but they, they were younger women and they, they were presented early on and good opportunity. But uh, yeah, I can understand where people are coming from because all due respects to my wife, she'll get frustrated with technology and want to throw it out the window. Well, I do that too. Was my wife, that was my wife. That was my wife. She, I was the yeah. techie. She wouldn't, didn't believe it, didn't want to have anything to do with it. And it's 100%. Yeah. It's, it's low expectations for one. Oh, you're a girl. You wouldn't want to play with that. And yeah. and just the, 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 the no contact with it until they're older on. So yeah, the more we get young kids from both from all genders involved early, that that'll help solve the problem. I think. I think we're getting there too. Yeah. Thank you, Elmer. Jerry. Code goes. Yeah. Thanks, Jerry. Now Thank Elmer, Elmer has his hand up now. Hi. Thanks for allowing me to speak. I ducked in a little bit late, so I wasn't sure whether you still had contact or were, were working with um, working with Apple and other companies. But you twigged my interest when you talked about uh, glucose glucose monitoring, etc. And and we have two daughters that are both type one diabetics, mm. and they both are using pumps. And uh, oh, wow. you know, one one is using the um, hmm, Oh, I don't remember them all. Medtronic is what's Mini the Med Medtronic, yeah. 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 Five eight, yeah. And again, you talk about the accessibility of it. Are you finding like are you finding that these companies are just if a better choice of words, but are they just bullheaded to the idea that they want to try and that they just don't want to make them accessible because they've, if you want to say, got a cornered market? Yeah. Um Boy, you know, you just can't seem to, you can't seem to get that market moving in the medical field. Yeah, I, I tell you what, um, Elmer, I spent 14 years beating on that industry. I spent many days at Minimed in meetings. One time the guy actually said, hey, our device keep you from going blind, so we don't need to make it accessible. It took everything not to jump over the table and <laughs> wring his neck. But, uh, it's, and that was... 2004, 2005, 17 years later, 16 years later, they still haven't proceeded. Now, I do know that a company in our field is working with them right now, a former colleague of mine. So let's knock on wood and hope mm -hmm. that Minimed Medtronic does some things. But 
I mean, they've even gone backwards. You could actually, back in the day, give yourself a bolus if you had to. Like you could have a sighted friend set up your base yeah. rate for your daily. And then when you needed an extra bump after a meal, you could do that by doing the counting, right? Counting presses. Right. You know, each press was a half of a unit. They even took that away at one point. I don't know this. I haven't been in that world for a while, but. Uh, yes, it's, it is so difficult. Sure. Yeah. And on a, just as a comment too, I, I am an avid iPhone user and uh, have been there since I heard a voiceover. And uh, I decided I was going to go and see about purchasing an iPhone. I didn't care what it cost me compared to the cheaper phones that were out there at the time. Right. And I mean, I have never turned back. I have never looked back. And I just, I just appreciated so much that you were able to function with it. And I would encourage anybody, don't be afraid to play with it. Move through, try everything, because that's, that's the only way you're going to really get down to knowing 100%. what you can do and what, can't, what you can't do with the phone. 100%. Get it. Use it. Don't worry about it. Just keep on playing. That's 100%. Another thing, by the way, that Apple did when they did that, they raised our expectations. Here's a mainstream company with a phenomenal screen reader, built it at no extra cost. All right, companies, we've had it with all this plug and play with all this extra stuff we have to buy. It changed our expectations and we hope that it's, it's starting to move the needle, but I hope it moved more quickly than it has. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Sure, thank you. Great, thank you, Elmer. Um, no hands. Darren, could you tell us a little bit about Braille support? I know we have a few Braille users on this call, including myself um yeah we're how did they figure that out because that's a whole different ball game did they have people from your organization um involved in that as well a little bit but mainly it was companies like humanware like uh what are the other the braille display companies uh the what, what's the one in germany um oh shoot can't remember oh Bob? but they mainly yeah yeah exactly oh, they work with the companies that make the devices now in, in the Bluetooth connections, as you Braille reader, re users know, is tricky. Um, it's not perfect. I, I, I have them, of course, and I get frustrated. I, I wish the connection was better. Um, and even with the, the wired connection with some of them, we're finding troubles with, you know, when you're wiring it to a Mac or a PC. But that's my, I mean, I find, I, refreshable Braille to me is so wonderful. Remember back when I said about <laughs> when I'm in the finance biz and my Wall Street Journal came a week late. Okay, it was great to have it in Braille, but it was useless to me a week late in that world. You know, a week yeah. late financial information is going to hurt you. You got to lose money. So having that refreshable Braille is huge. In my, I just wish it was a little more consistently working. What do you think? Do you get that same experience? Yeah, I, I yeah. totally agree that it's yeah. it, it's good and Braille screen input is wonderful. And there's been a lot of great advances, say from Ooh. Apple about Braille. Braille but screen it, input is phenomenal on the phone. It's, it's much phenomenal. Faster than it's it's yeah. yeah. But I do find it's it's there are issues with it that um keep being issues so like some of the focus jumping and and like you say yeah. some of the staying paired and so, yeah. so I just wondered if there were Braille users and did you try using Braille with the early iPhones as well? Like, were you able to then? I can't remember. I don't it, remember. No, it took a couple it. versions. It was what? Ver Let me think here. Was it five or? Five or six, six that they really got it working well. Yeah. Now I've got yeah. a five in there. 
might have been the 5, but it was a few versions out. 3G, 4, 4S, 5, 5S. It was about the 6th or 7th phone. So the 5S yeah. or the 6th. Yeah. And, so and they it's still not working it. well on, on, on Google. I, I, it's, I've, oh, I've, it's I terrible. That's, I, I, that's I gave up terrible. playing with it. Yeah. No. Yeah. And that's, that's terrible. People need to lobby them. And they keep saying they're going to make it better. And it never gets better on there. That's for yeah, sure. Victor, whatever, they had a great engineer buddy of mine, and he's not on that team anymore. So I was really hoping he would be able to make that a little bit better. But yeah. I mean, it's great that it's all built in too, right? I mean, that was one thing that Google did. They followed Apple's lead. They didn't charge us. I mean, that's a good thing. But I do think the law had a lot to do with that too. But um, yeah, uh, and the granularity on the Google phone, you know, with the rotor, we've got 32 different options, I think, with with TalkBack, we have about five or six. That If we fix that and fix Braille, I think the Google phones start stepping up and catching up. But certainly, I think the Apple's head and shoulders above right now. Yeah, it is. Anyone else have a comment or a question for Darren? I, I think this is so fascinating and so great um, to hear you. Oh, Thank you. I had way too much fun. I really enjoyed this. And the questions were great. I tell you what, very rarely do I do a talk like this where I get 15 great questions that are, that are spot on. So good job. What do you get? Thanks a lot. Do you want to talk just a tiny bit about how you advocate companies? What are some good strategies for advocating wow. the companies? Yeah. Um, I have been, my act for 25 years has been the Guy Smiley Act. Right? Remember Guy Smiley from the- Yeah, from, Guy uh, Smiley. That's why <laughs> mine has always been, let's, let's do, let's, I've never been a rock thrower, but I've taken advantage of many, many lawsuits, many, uh, you know, when, when in America, when the National Federation of the Blind does a lawsuit, I'm working with the company, you know, six months later. So, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm anti-litigation, but I'm not that guy. I don't, I don't get in those fights. I like to be the guy that fixes it. But that being said, you still have to get in the door. I was lucky enough to have the American Foundation for the Blind's name or Yahoo's name, right? So that helped a lot. Having, you know, what is it? Carrying a big stick helps. So that has helped now. And, and although I've always taken the friendly approach, I'm indebted to those that are willing to stand up and, and, and fight the good fight. And I've, I've fought the fight a few times, but I'm normally the guy smiley guy. And that, that's worked for me. Um, mm -hmm. uh, boy, again, I, the luck being at the right place at the right time, just happening to be in West Virginia when the coal mine is given to the AFB, happening to be uh, at AFB when AT&T is looking for people for an accessibility panel, happening to be, happening to be with AT&T's panel when Apple launches the iPhone. So a lot of that luck, luck helps too. But when I talk to kids, one thing I tell them, you don't get lucky sitting at home on the couch, you know, and you don't necessarily get lucky when you go out there, but you have to put yourself out there to even have a chance at the luck. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough, it's all, all any, any, any uh, technique you can use to try to get industry's attention for work. But um, certainly sometimes you've got to throw the stones and sometimes you've got to catch the stones, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I loved what you said about the engineers are getting the people excited because I think yeah. we found that too. When someone's developing oh, yeah. something and you get them into it, like you, 
yeah. that makes a huge difference because then it, when it they're really on your, your side, they're on your side. And yeah, they are. And when that, and, and that's another, when, when the, the hair on the back of my head goes up, when, when I see an engineer finally get it or, or it, sometimes I get it right away. That's a really cool thing. And when they catch the bug, uh-oh, look out, they're going to go. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and honestly, when they see us using it, they love it. When they see us out there, uh-huh. uh, when I did lobbying in, in Washington to where all the blind people, oh, you want to see some blind people? Let's bring them. So we bring hundreds and hundreds of people there. So yeah, see, we are, we are all um, evangelists. We have to, you know, once they, people see us out there doing things, that, that, that definitely moves the needle. Thank you for listening to the GTT podcast from the Canadian Council of the Blind. There are many ways to get in touch with us. You can call us toll-free at 1-877-304-0968. You can follow our GTT blog at gttprogram.blog. If you'd like to subscribe to our email support list, you can send a blank email to gttsupport plus sign subscribe at groups.io. And you can follow the Canadian Council of the Blind on the web at ccbnational.com.